Butler and crew, good to see you this morning in the Lord's house. We'll take your Bible and turn to Acts chapter 27. Acts chapter 27, we are nearing the end of our study in the book of Acts. And uh, we're going to be talking this morning about surviving your storm. Surviving your storm. It was late September 2015, and in Jacksonville, Florida, Uh, The El Faro, which was a cargo ship that had a regular run from Jacksonville, Florida to San Juan, Puerto Rico, uh, was getting ready to ship out. There was a problem, though. There was a hurricane at work in the Caribbean, and uh, they kind of got to thinking about it, looked at it, you know, hey, should should we go? And they said, yeah, you know, the ship's in good shape, no problem. You know, we need to get this product to uh, Puerto Rico. And uh, so off they went into the Atlantic out of Jacksonville uh, September 30th, 2015. Well, uh, they hit that storm, and it was the largest hurricane, Hurricane Jaquan, I believe it is, uh, one of those odd-named hurricanes that had hit that part of the Caribbean since 1866. And they hit that storm. Some of you may remember it. There were 33 people on board that cargo ship. And early on October the 1st, in the wee hours of the morning, uh, the El Faro was lost to that hurricane with all 33 uh, crewmen on board. Probably around a year after that, of course, the uh, um, transportation board did an investigation of what happened. And you may or may not know, but some of those ships have recordings, just like a, an airplane has voice recorders. Uh, many of the ships now have a voice recorder in the cabin. And... They finally were able to locate that. They found the ship in the bottom of the Atlantic. And uh, I read the, the, the transcribed part of that transcribed audio. Uh, I don't know that they ever released the actual audio because of the family members and whatnot. But it was interesting to read portions of that transcript. And in the cabin of that, of that freighter, uh, first in the beginning of the night of September the 30th, you know, there's jokes, you know, boy, that was a big one, you know. You know how folks are, boy, that's, that's you know, oh, I didn't know what, I've been through worse, you know, some guys say, you know, and so forth. And the captain, though, was asleep. And then they begin to talk about it got worse and worse. And then you said, you know, I think we need to wake the captain up. And some said, well, I'm kind of surprised he's not out here with us. And uh, so anyway, they finally go down, they wake the captain up. He comes up on board. And, and again, with the transcript of the audio, you know, he's talking, oh, I've, this is a lot worse. I've seen a lot worse, you know, no problem. And, you know, some of them were getting worried. There was one female crew member and, you know, they were talking about maybe we should, maybe we should turn around. He said, oh, no, no, you know, we got it, we got it. And as they went forward into that storm, it progressively worse and worse, and the ship began to take damage. And finally, the death knell of any ship, certainly in modern times when we operate off of engines, they lost the power plant. They lost the engine. The engine was flooded and with no power, and in the midst of those waves, uh, th- that ship was doomed. And, and, and one of the uh, most haunting things, there's one guy, and as... He's trying to get out. The captain orders that they hit the, the lifeboats, go for the lifeboats. And, uh, of course, the ship is listening by this time greatly. And uh, he slips and falls, evidently, from the transcript. And, and uh, he says, you know, uh, you know d- d- y'all don't leave me. You know, and the captain says, I'm not going to leave you. I'm, I, I, I'm here. Come on, you got to get up. you, you got to make it. And finally, the guy says, I'm a goner. I'm a goner. 
You know, there's a certain resignation that sometimes comes to people when they're faced with difficulty and whether it's sickness or, or some tragic event, it's just human nature. We kind of reach a point and at some point we say, well, well you know, I'm, this is it. This is it. This is it for me. And that guy reached that point and just a few moments later, uh, the audio ceases as the ship uh, plows under the waves, never to be seen again on the top of the ocean. All 33 people lost. Well, you could, of course, the transportation board, they did a study. You know, well, why did that ship sink? Why did those 33 people lose their life? What could have been done differently to stop that from happening? And they came out with a report. You know, and there are many things on that report. You know, well, the ship should have been in better shape and that they shouldn't have sailed, etc., etc. Well, maybe we can do that today if we go to Acts chapter 27. And Acts chapter 27 is all about Paul's shipwreck on the way to Rome. Many of you will remember and be familiar with this passage, very famous passage in uh, the book of Acts. And remember what has gotten Paul to this point. He's been arrested, we might say rescued, by the Romans from a Jewish mob. But he's under arrest and the Romans are trying to figure out what to do with this guy, Paul. He's kind of a difficult case. The, the, the Jewish leaders are all upset. They want him, or they want him killed is what they want. But the, he's a Roman citizen, so that makes things difficult. Had he not been a Roman citizen, he probably would be dead because the Romans wouldn't have really cared what happened to him. But being a Roman citizen, they were obligated by Roman law to provide due process to Paul and make sure he got a fair trial. And so he, Paul ends up, you remember, appealing to Caesar when it seems that, that uh, he is going to be handed over to the Jewish authorities in Jerusalem. And so he is sent to Caesar. So here they are in chapter 27. They board a ship and they are headed to Rome. And Paul, with many other prisoners that are being transferred to Rome, Paul, along with Luke, remember Luke is the author of the book of Acts, and we see that Luke uses the pronoun we as he goes through this 27th chapter. So he's on board that ship with Paul as well, and they begin to make their way to Rome. And we get down to verse number 9, and, and they've stopped. They're having to kind of skirt around. It's getting late in the year. that They still need to get to Rome. And we're going to pick up in verse number 9, and I guess we're going to divide this into three different sections this morning. And this first section, uh, we're going to look at, and we could probably title it, How to Sink Your Ship. If you've got a ship and you want to sink it, here is a good way to do it. Now, I know that, that the book of Acts, and here in chapter 27, it is a historical narrative. However, if you believe in the inspiration of Scripture, as I do, and I know many of you do, then that means that the Bible is written with a specific purpose. Every chapter, every verse. And so God did not simply give us this 27th chapter so we could have a historical record of a boat, of a shipwreck in ancient times. There is a reason and a purpose. The Bible clearly says that everything in Scripture is written as an example and a lesson to us. So we can take this 27th chapter, this journey of this Roman ship, and we can learn a lesson from it. And so let's begin, first of all, if we want to talk about a good way to sink your ship, how to do it. Well, notice in verse 9, there the Bible says, Now when much time had been spent, and sailing was now dangerous, because the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Men... 
I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo and ship, but also our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than by the things spoken by Paul. And because the harbor was not suitable to winter in, the majority advised to set sail from there also if by any means they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete opening toward the southwest and northwest and winter there. And when the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their desire, putting out to sea, they sailed close by Crete. And you know the next verse, the storm appears. But let's stop there in verse 13. Here's how they made their decision to set sail and to head out uh, into the Mediterranean. Well, first of all, in verse number 9, it says, When much time had been spent and sailing was now dangerous because the fast was already over. As in any place, in any uh, part of the world, there's weather, there's times of the year when the weather's good generally speaking, and there's times of the year when the weather is prone to be bad. In our part of the world, we know the hurricane season. We all know about hurricane season. Starts in, you know, midsummer or, or fall and, and heads on into getting toward December, I think November. That's the hurricane season. You don't have hurricanes in February. You don't have hurricanes in March. You have hurricanes in hurricane season. Well, so it was here. They were approaching the bad time of year. And because of different situations, delays, here they were, uh, time was getting away from them, and they were in a hurry. They had to hurry up and get what they were going to do done, or they were going to be stuck for the winter. And number one, if you want to sink your ship, if you want to make a disaster of anything you're trying to do, the first way is to get in a hurry. Haste. Haste is number one. There's an old proverb, haste makes waste. That's absolutely, certainly true. Never make a decision under pressure or in a hurry if it can be avoided. Now, I know sometimes we have to make decisions when we, we don't really have any time to think about it. And I will say that there's a, you know, you, you can go down the highway and you can go into the ditch on the left side or the right side. Making decisions too hastily is going off the ditch into the left side. There's another ditch that some folks run into, and that's procrastination. They never make a decision. They're scared to make a decision because they're scared they're going to make the wrong decision, so they never make a decision. Well, that will sink your boat as well. But certainly what they did wrong here was they felt under pressure. They said, we've got to get this boat moving. If we don't get to Rome in a hurry... We are going to lose an entire season. It's going to be the spring before we can get out of here. They were under pressure and they made a decision in a hurry. You know, one of the principles, godly principles, the Bible doesn't tell us what to do in every situation, but it does give us principles we can use to help make decisions. And one of the principles that God's Word gives us is when we are seeking the will of God, if God doesn't speak to you, just wait. Don't jump out there on your own. There's plenty of examples. Remember in the Old Testament, the, the people of Israel, God was leading them by judges and by prophets, and they looked around at the other kingdoms and said, well, everybody's got a king. Boy, look at that king. The Americans are a little bit like that. Remember, you know, when the princes and prince, all those, the royal, used to be princes died. I remember when she was uh, alive, and uh, some of you are old enough to remember that, but something about her just captivated everybody, that royal wedding, and then recently they just had a royal wedding. But there's something about royalty, isn't there? 
I guess it's just human nature. People love to think about, but look, there's the king. There's the prince. There's the princess. Maybe it's everybody reading those fairy tales when they were little. You know, the prince comes in and marries the princess. But there's something about royalty. And in that Old Testament, they looked around, they saw that everybody had kings and, and leaders, and they said, we want a king. We want somebody that we can look to that will be the symbol of our nation. And so they didn't. God says, no, I don't want you to have a king. They said, no, we want a king. Give us a king. They were hasty in their decision. And my friend, we should wait on the Lord. If you don't know what to do, the Bible doesn't give you a clear instruction. Just wait on Him and ask God to reveal what you need to do. Don't be in haste. They were in a hurry. That was their first mistake. But notice their second mistake. The Bible says that Paul advised them saying, Men, I perceive this voyage will end with disaster and much loss. Not only of the cargo, but also our lives. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us where Paul got his information from. It doesn't say he had a vision. But I think we can use our judgment. And we do know, remember way back in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 25. Some of you might remember I read it a few weeks ago. Remember, 2 Corinthians was written before this event happened here in Acts chapter 27. And in 2 Corinthians 11, Paul's writing to the church at Corinth. He's talking about all the things he's suffered and been through for the cause of Christ. In the midst of that, he says, I have been shipwrecked three times. And I spent a night and a day in the deep. Meaning that on one of those shipwrecks, he floated all night and all day in the middle of the ocean until he was rescued. Now, we don't know when that was. The Bible doesn't tell us about those events. But what that tells us was that when Paul gave that warning, he was a seasoned traveler. Not only had he traveled on the ocean before, but he had already been involved in three shipwrecks. I don't know about you, but I don't know if I want to sail with Paul or not. Paul's on the ship, I might want to take another ship. But already three ships he had been on. So if he'd been on three ships, and those three ships had sank, how many ships had he been on in total? He was a seasoned traveler. So I think part of it was simply the fact that Paul understood the sea. And he felt like it was a bad time to sail. But I also believe that the Lord was impressing him. You know, the Lord gives us impressions. Maybe not a vision. Maybe not, you know, a message in the sky. But sometimes God will give us an impression that you don't need to do that. That's not a good idea. It's not that there's anything inherently wrong about it. It's not forbidden necessarily in Scripture. It's just, that's just not a good idea. You don't need to go there. You don't need to do that. And I believe it was a combination. I believe Paul's advice was a combination of his personal experience traveling on the ocean as a traveler, but also the Lord impressing him. So Paul says, guys, I got a bad feeling about this trip. We do not need to leave this port. I'm telling you, do not leave this port. But they had other options. They went for a second opinion. And verse 11, it says, Nevertheless, the centurion, and now the centurion was the decision maker. This was a cargo ship, but it also was a prison ship. And this centurion evidently was the one in charge. He was the one who made the final decision. And it says that he was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than by the things spoken by Paul. So they were in haste. And number two, they heeded the wrong counsel. He listened to the helmsman. He said, we got it, no problem. I've traveled this way before. The owner of the ship said, listen, 
we're going to lose a lot of money if we don't get this ship to Rome on time. We are going to lose a lot of money. And so they heeded the wrong counsel. Now, we don't have time to preach a whole sermon on this, if I'm not careful. But I just want to say that that is our culture today. You know, the Bible gives us instructions for living. What is right, what is not right, how to get right, how to stay right. That's the Word of God. But many people today are abandoning Scripture as a source of authority. Now, it's one thing to disagree about Scripture, things that are perhaps gray in Scripture, and one person might have one opinion, another might have another, and there's no verse that says this or that. But there are many things in Scripture that are very plain and very clear. And you and I, if we are serious about following Christ, we have to listen to the right instruction. And for the Christian, the instruction is the Word of God. What does the Bible say? You know the ad of WWJD, what would Jesus do? that's okay. I'm not trying to nitpick about that saying. But the only problem with that saying is it all depends on who Jesus is in your mind as to what would Jesus do. You know, when you say WWJD, well, you know, the Jesus I've kind of envisioned, He might do this. And maybe the Jesus you envision, maybe He wouldn't do that. And by the way, when you say that, just always remember that that includes chasing people with a whip and turning over tables. You talk about what would Jesus do. Remember, He cleansed the temple. So be very careful uh, when you say, what would Jesus do? But better than what would Jesus do is what does the Bible say? There it is in black and white. If the Bible says something, that is what we must go by. So their second problem was they heeded the wrong counsel. Well, notice the third one, verse 12. And because the harbor was not suitable to winter in. They didn't like the local hotels in that harbor. Happiness above all. You want to sink your ship, make your decisions in haste. Number two, heed the wrong counsel. And number three, make your goal and the the prospective for how you make your decision, happiness above all. My personal comfort and my personal happiness. That will sink your ship Every time. They didn't like that port. It wasn't a good port to winter in. I'm sure there were many reasons and probably very solid good reasons for that. And they said, this is not a good port. We've got to leave here. We don't like staying in this port. You cannot make your decisions based on your personal happiness. Because, my friend, what makes you happy today might not make you happy tomorrow. I love this example of the two tears that were floating down the river. You've heard me tell it, no doubt. And and the two tears met one another floating down the river. And the first tear said to the second tear, well, where you come from? He said, well, he said, I'm the tear of a man that loved a woman and lost her. He said, well, that's sad. He said, well, what about you? He said, oh, well. He said, mine's even sadder. He said, really? He said, I'm the tear of the man that found her. (laughs) What makes you happy today may not make you happy tomorrow. So your personal happiness as you declare it and as you see it at that moment is not a solid basis for making a decision. Remember some of the things Jesus said. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Now most of us as a child, certainly when we're at our base nature, we want to receive. We want to get gifts. And that's just our basic nature. But Jesus said it's actually more happy and blessed to give. And if you want to save your life, then lose your life. 
you lose your life, you'll save your life. So, you cannot make your decisions based on your personal happiness. And then, look there in the last part of verse 12. It was not suitable to winter in. And the majority, the majority advised to set sail from there also. Another way to sink your ship is to follow the crowd. What everybody is doing, you just jump right in with them. And just take a poll every time you want to make a decision. Just take a poll. You know, a lot of people do that. They, they take informal polls. They have a decision, something they want to do. And maybe they know the Bible uh, advises against that or is not uh, favorable to that decision. But what they do, they want to go ahead and take a vote. So they'll go around and ask everybody, well, let me tell you about my situation. And they'll explain the situation. Well, what do you think I should do? And mentally they're keeping a tally. And, you know, most people don't like to tell people things they don't want to hear, right? Somebody comes to you and asks you a question. And he, you don't want to, you know kind of what they want to hear. And you feel uncomfortable giving them the answer they don't want to hear. So most of us, if we follow our human nature, we kind of equivocate, well... And they go away and say, hey, well, hey, Brother William's okay with it. You know, Brother Gary's okay with it. You know, uh, Paige is okay with it. Everybody's okay with it. I've just took a vote and everybody's in favor of it. So this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to make my decision based on the majority and based on what everybody else is doing. I'm going to follow the crowd. Well, the last one, look in verse 13. says, When the south wind blew softly, supposing they had obtained their desire, putting out to sea, they sailed close by Crete. Talking about how to sink your ship, make your decision in haste, Heed the wrong counsel. Make happiness above all the only criteria. Follow the crowd. Do what everybody else is doing. And lastly, be led and influenced by circumstance. Be led and influenced by circumstance. Again, you know that it's something you shouldn't be doing or that God has expressly forbidden, but yet you think about the circumstances. Let's say you're married and You've just been thinking. You have a dream about it. You're, you're some guy and you have a dream about this beautiful brunette one night. You think, well, that was kind of an odd dream. Well, then the next day at work, lo and behold, who comes in but the new employee and it's a brunette. You're like, well, isn't that odd? You know? And lo and behold, she gets put right by your place where you work, right across from you. And you think, boy, this just all, this must be a sign. You know, this must be a sign from the Lord or something. Circumstances. But you know the Bible says that you're to be faithful to your husband and faithful to your wife. But, but Yeah, but this must be God. There's too much that's lining up. I mean, everything's lining up. And, and all of a sudden, you're influenced by circumstance. Of course, you'll ask around and be sure everybody's in favor of it. You know, and get the majority on your side before you move forward with it. But that's how to sink your ship. This is how that ship was lost in Acts chapter 27. They made a decision in haste. They heeded the wrong counsel. They chose their personal comfort and happiness above all. They followed the crowd and they were led by the circumstances. When the south wind blew, they said, boy, it looks mighty good. It's a clear, calm ocean. Let's set sail. Well, let's go to the second part. So what happened? The storm came. Look there in verse 14. But not long after, and it normally doesn't take long, but not long after a temptation, temptation it was a heavy wind, I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I tell you, it was blowing the oak tree sideways. <laughs> the moss was hanging out horizontally. <laughs> I can explain it in a South Georgia way. It was a frog strangler, I'm telling you. Uh, I'm not going. It was a heavy wind. It arose, called Eurycladon or something like that. So when the ship was caught and could not head into the wind, we let her drive. Now I want to take just a minute and talk about what men did in the middle of this storm. You see that they've set sail. They were 200, by the way. I think 200. The Bible says 270. 276 people on this boat. So this wasn't some little dinghy. You know, this wasn't some little fishing vessel. This was a huge boat. 276 people on board this boat. And so as the wind arose and they began to be hit by the wind, the Bible says they let her drive. That basically means that they kind of lost control. They were no longer following you know, the way they had intended to go. They just kind of let it go. That, that they let the ship go. They let the wind drive the ship. And that's the first thing that happens to us in a storm generally is we lose control. You know, we started the storm fully in control, making our own decision, but then we lose control. We lose control of our ship. And then notice the next thing that happened, verse 16. And running under the shelter of an island called Clauda, we secured the skiff with difficulty... And when they had taken it on board, they used cables to undergird the ship, and fearing lest they should run aground on the surface sands, they struck sail, and so were driven. What I see here is a bunch of men working really, really hard. They've lost control, but now they're working more than they've ever worked before. Their labor is greatly increased. And that's what happens when a storm happens. We lose control and all of a sudden we are working as hard as we can to stem the damage and to stop total disaster from taking hold. We've already suffered a loss, but now we want to try to keep it from total disaster. So the labor is greatly increased. And notice verse 18 and 19. And because we were exceedingly tempest-tossed, the next day they lightened the ship, and on the third day we threw the ship's tackle overboard with our own hands. They even got the prisoners helping out. They began to lose their cargo. They had to throw their precious cargo. And not only their cargo, but they actually began to take the tackle, that is the, the rigging of the ship, the things that made the ship work that were heavy. They began to throw them overboard, trying to lighten the ship. They made a bad decision in setting sail. Now they're suffering the consequences. They've lost control. They're working feverishly with seeming no result. And they're beginning to lose things that are precious to them. Losing their cargo. But they're about to lose something even more precious. Look there at verse 20. It says, Now when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest beat on us, all hope that we should be saved was finally given up. Remember, they didn't have lighted dials in that ancient ship. They had no artificial power source, no artificial light. They had no compass or no GPS to tell them which way they were headed or even where they were. They went by the stars at night and the sun by day. And if you were an ancient mariner and there were no stars at night and no sun during the day, you were lost. You had no way 
to gauge where you were or what direction you were even headed. So that is the case of these sailors. They are totally lost and disoriented. They don't know where they are. They can't even plot a course if they could plot a course with the winds and the waves because they wouldn't know what direction to go in. They're lost. They are disoriented. They are battered. And the Bible says they lost that most precious commodity in every human heart. You know, a human heart can endure many things, many losses. There's one loss the human heart cannot endure. The loss of hope. When hope disappears, then that heart is lost. And such it was with those 270-something people on board this ship. That night, those days, they lost not only their cargo, not only the tackle on the ship, but they lost hope. That's the picture of man in the storm. No control, working feverishly, but nothing to show for your work, losing things that are precious to you, and finally losing the most precious thing, and that is hope in your heart. But there's a very important word in the Bible. You'll find it there, verse number 21. Some of you have heard me mention it before. little three-letter word, but. Here's these people with all hope lost. Just like, remember that man in that ship, El Faro? His words were, I'm a goner. That were the, that, those were the thoughts of these people. We're goners. This is it. You know, this is, we're, it's over. There's no hope for us, but. But. After long abstinence from food, then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, Now we've looked at the men in the storm. We looked at the reasons for the situation they're in. And now we saw the men in the storm. But now we're going to see God in the storm. What does God do in the storm? And the first thing we find, Paul says, Men, you should have listened to me and not sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. Now just in case you think Paul was not human, here's a good example. (laughs) Paul was human. He said, guys, he's about to speak a word from the Lord to them, but before he does, he just says, you should have listened to me. You should have paid attention when I told you, do not sell from Crete. And then you would not have incurred this disaster and loss But verse 22, And now I urge you to take heart. They've lost hope. Now, Paul can't give them back their cargo they've thrown into the ocean. He can't bring back the tackle of the boat that's at the bottom of the sea. But what he attempts to do is give them back that most precious commodity, which he does have the power to restore, and that is hope. He said, Men, I urge you, take heart. For there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. Well, I'm sure their first thought, well, how do you know? Who made you God? How do you know we're not going to die, but the ship is going to be lost? Well, he doesn't give them time to ask. He knows they're thinking that. He gives them their answer. Verse 23, For there stood by me this night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. 
You must be brought before Caesar, and indeed God has granted you all those who sail with you. Therefore, take heart, men, for I believe God that it will be just as it was told me. However, we must run aground on a certain island. Boy, there's so many wonderful phrases there that we could just... You could take and underline, and when you're feeling down and, and, and you're kind of disheartened and you've lost hope, remember these phrases where Paul says, Take heart, have hope. Well, why? Why should I have hope, Paul? He says, Because there is one who stood by me, who stood by me, and that is, who, uh, who was that? Well, it was an angel of the God to whom I belong. You belong to somebody if you're a Christian. You belong to God. And He has promised to stand by you. Not only, Paul says, do I belong to Him, but whom I serve. Paul's was not an empty faith without works. His was a faith that was shown by his works, shown by his loyalty and his, his faithful allegiance to his Lord and His Savior, Jesus Christ. He said, not only the God to whom I belong, but the God to whom I serve. Saying, do not be afraid. Boy, you could go all through the Scripture and find the phrases. How many times God said to His people, fear not. Don't be afraid. Do not be afraid. He says, for... And here's God's sovereignty, by the way. We have to stop and make a parenthesis here. We're talking about God giving hope. Remember God's sovereignty? He says, for God appeared to me saying, you must... You must be brought before Caesar. Why had he... God said you've got to be brought before Caesar. Well, we'll go back to Acts 23, 11. Remember a couple of weeks ago when Paul was in prison, he had that vision, and the Lord says, Paul, you are going to go not only to Jerusalem, but you're going to go to Rome. Well, you see, Paul was on that boat, but, and Luke was on that boat, but I tell you who else was on that boat. It wasn't just Paul and Luke. It was the book of Acts on that boat because Luke wrote the book of Acts. It was the gospel of Luke on that boat. Not only was it that, but it was Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians and Philemon. All of those books were on that boat because Paul wrote those books while he was in prison in Rome. And if that boat went down and Paul went down and Luke went down, there'd be no Luke, there'd be no Acts, there'd be no Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians and Philemon. What about all those souls that Paul would witness to when he got to Rome who would come to faith in Christ? Their souls were on that boat. So God says, Paul, this boat is not going going to go down with you on it. And just as a bonus, I'm going to give you all the folks that are with you. I'm going to save you and I'm going to save Luke and I'm going to save your companions, but I'm also going to save those other prisoners and these Roman soldiers and these sailors. Well, but God had a plan. Look there at verse 29. It says they were getting close to an island. And verse 30 says, And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship... When they had let down the skiff into the sea, now keep in mind on this ship you got the sailors on the ship, then you got the Roman soldiers and their captain, their centurion on the ship, and then you got the prisoners that the Roman soldiers are guarding. So you kind of got three groups of people on this ship. So the sailors, they're close enough to land. They said, guys, we got to get off this boat. I mean, in a hurry. So they made a plan. They said, we're going to act like we're letting the anchor down at the front of the boat. But what we're really going to do is let a skiff, a little boat down, and we're going to jump in that boat, and we're going to take off. It's every man for himself, you know. I better stop there. I don't want to say, I can't help but say it, though. Uh, I'm just reminded, remember the Italian boat that uh, off the coast of Italy, you know, that went, went aground, and 
you know, the Italian captain. I just wonder if they were they were Italian sailors. Probably right, wrong. Okay, I'm sorry if Italians listening. Forgive me. I, I didn't mean to say that. But you need to say one thing about the British. They may run you smack dab in the middle of an iceberg, but they'll go down with the ship. You know, <laughs> captain. With. At least he's got enough sense to do that. But the sailors said, "Hey, we're getting off this boat. They can fend for themselves." But what did Paul do? It says. Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the skiff and let it fall off. You see, when God provides a way of escape, and you may think, and this is very unpopular in our modern day, but there's just one way. Paul said, now wait a minute, this is not a blank check. I didn't say that you could just do whatever you wanted to do. I said God was going to preserve the people on this ship, but you've got to stay on this boat. It's not every man for himself. You cannot leave. You leave this boat. Paul says, I can't be responsible for your safety. God has only promised me that those that stay in this boat will be saved. And boy, the soldiers, you know, they just simply went over and chopped them ropes off and let that boat fall into the ocean. And the sailors went back and sat down. You know, sometimes it's good for somebody to tell when you're about to make a bad decision to be like those Roman soldiers and cut the ropes off. Say, no, you, you can't do that. You don't want to do that. You just think you want to do that. You don't really want to do that. And that's exactly what happened. But the principle we need to remember is that there is one way. God does have a way of escape for us and He gives us hope, but we have to do it His way. And then lastly, He gives provision for them. Verse 33, it says, And as day was about to dawn, Paul implored them all to take food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day you have waited and continued without food and eaten nothing. Therefore I urge you to take nourishment, for this is for your survival, since not a hair will fall from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. And they were all encouraged and also took food themselves. And in all were 276 persons on the ship. So when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship and threw out the wheat into the sea. And then verse 42. They run upon this island of Malta. I will say one thing just before we close. Did you notice the Bible says that Paul gave thanks there in verse number 35? He took the bread and gave thanks. You know, that often helps us in the midst of a storm when God is, is encouraging our heart to give Him thanks. Give Him thanks. And then notice their salvation, verse 42. And the soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners lest any of them should swim away and escape. But the centurion... Wanting to save Paul, kept them from their purpose and commanded that those who could swim should jump overboard first and get to land and the rest, some on boards and some on parts of the ship. And so it was that they all escaped safely to land. Surviving your storm. We're all in storms from time to time. Sometimes we are there because we've made bad decisions. Sometimes we're there for a variety of other reasons. It just happens. But my friend, I pray that this passage from Acts 27 will remind us, don't let the storm that you're in be your own doing. Don't sink your ship by haste and heeding the wrong counsel and making your happiness above all and following the crowd and being led by circumstance. Don't let those bring you into a storm. But if you are in a storm, and when you're in a storm, remember the God that gives hope when there is no hope. Remember the God that provides 
a way of escape. And listen to His voice. Listen to that still, small voice that speaks to you. I'm going to ask our musicians to come and give us a hymn of invitation this morning. Maybe you're here today. Maybe God has spoken to your heart. You've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I invite you to come this morning and take Him as your Lord and Savior. If you're here today, maybe you want to come pray. I'll be glad to pray with you. You just obey the Lord as we stand and sing.